Hey, I'm Ben Ramos, and I get the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor. We are a church all about the authentic power of God coupled with sound theology. Because God's given us his inerrant, infallible word, and in it, he calls us to be people who are filled by his Holy Spirit, people who are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and people who are led by his Holy Spirit. As a local congregation, God's called us to help people take steps in their relationship with Jesus, to see them rise from death to life and glory to glory. I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. I truly pray and I hope that this message would be an encouragement to you and your life, that it would help you to recognize that the mission field is all around you and that it would help you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed. You know, every message that we share has the power to transform your life on an individual level. I believe that, because that's the word of God. It has power to transform your life. But in this unique season as a church, there are specific messages that really focus in on what we are doing and how we are moving forward as a church and how we are moving forward as as a movement. And it's something that the Lord has called us to come back time and time and time again to continue to grow in it. And it's something that we all need to take a part of. And so um, would you just say this, God, I want everything that you want for me. So teach us this morning in Jesus' name. So it was about 17 months ago, 17 months ago, where we began making public moves as, as a church into this new season. We began to articulate it through a message series entitled, I Will, I Will Rise, where we transitioned from Shiloh Foursquare into being Rise Church. This, this whole concept that we would rise up from the seats to the streets with the power of God and we would bring transformation to this area. And we're continuing in that. Now, the hope um, and, uh, you know, the vision that you have is like, boom, we start it, we're going to go, explosion, boom, just fire everywhere, it's incredible. I I would love that. But some things take a little bit of time. Some things take a little bit of investing, and this is one of those things. And so in that series... Uh, the final message that we had shared was a message called Lead Us. And this message was really just the beginning of a conversation, this conversation that we're continuing to uh, press in on around how should the church be formed? What, what is the leadership structure within the church supposed, to, supposed to, to look like? About 11 months ago, we returned again to this conversation in a message entitled, Continue the Rebuilding, where again, we brought focus to the structure of the church and specifically the difference between what has been and what is and what it's going to look like. And um, you're you're welcome to go and listen back on the specifics. I'm going to hit a bunch of um, kind of recaps 
uh, because it's important to us continuing to build here today. Uh, but you can go back and listen to those specifics if you, if you would like to at any, at any point. But just for, uh, again, a few, a few recaps, and it's going to be essential to where we are continuing to build today. The first one is this, and if you have not been here for a while, I'd really encourage you to write some of these, some of these things down. But here's one principle that we visited. It's, if it's not God's way, all the way, God's blessing will be delayed. If it's not God's way, all the way, God's blessing will be delayed, right? God's given us a direction on how to live our lives. And then we choose not to live in them. And then we point fingers at God and saying, why isn't this producing the results that it's supposed to produce? We're not following God's way all the way. It's almost like your idea of using a car, right? You go to fill up the car with gas, and then you turn the key, and then it ignites, and then you put it into gear, and then you drive. What happens if you skip one of those steps? What happens if you go to drive that car and do all the steps, but you choose, hey, I like to live my life the way that I like to live my life, and I don't like to fill up my gas, then you don't drive. It doesn't produce the results that you were hoping for. And so we see the same thing in different aspects of our lives, right? We've got relationships that are, are, are messed up. We've got these addictions. We've, we, we don't sleep well, whatever it is. We've got these different things going on in our life. And now we're pointing a finger at God and saying, why, why are you allowing this to happen? And there's that reminder of Are you living it God's way all the way, or is that the reason why God's blessing is being delayed? And so we took this concept, and we continue to take this concept, and we build it into the church. Because I'm done with religious stuff. I'm done with just following a set of rules because that's what I'm supposed to follow, and that's the way I I was raised. I'm a Bible guy to the core. We need to ensure that we're doing things God's way all the way, as it, especially when it comes to the church. Just think of what, this, what the church is supposed to look like. Grab a hold of this beautiful vision that Jesus presents for, for the church, right? This idea of unity and faith working together, harmoniously together, not belittling someone else because they look a little bit different. This, this people group is supposed to identify with the knowledge of Jesus Christ continuing to move towards maturity and Christ-likeness, not being confused. Hey, get this, because this is a, a cultural trigger right here. Not being confused by the different doctrines of the air, by the different beliefs that are being spread around. The church is supposed to be marked by humility and gentleness and patience and love and signs and wonders and miracles on a normal basis. This is the example of the church that I see. We're supposed to see life transformation on a normal basis. And let let me just say this. I don't know that I've actually been a part of of ministry where I've seen God move as much as I've seen him move in this season. I'm not, it's not to speak like huge, miraculous things, but just constantly, the normal basis, God is doing the stuff. God's doing the God stuff, and it's really cool. Let me, let me tell you what I see on the other side of that, though. 
I don't know that I've seen a season where the enemy has been at work as much as he's been at work. And we'll get to that most likely in this next season um, in the the next uh, message series that we'll be working through. But how do we get to this this church that we see described in Scripture? Because I feel like when I look at the church today, we're, we're not quite there yet. We're seeing some really sweet stuff. But I want biblical numbers of that, dude. Like, I, that's, that's what I want to see. And so this is how we've sought to build the church and continue to rebuild our, our church, is to identify down to the minutia, why are we doing what we're doing? We've done that in worship. Why, why, are we, why do we do it this way? We've done that with communion. Why, why does it have to be this this exact stuff, right? We've done it with giving. Why are we standing over people with bags and telling them to put the money in the bag? Like, why, why do we do that, right? Just asking these questions and asking, is this, is this biblical? Because I don't want to do things the way that it's just always been done just because that's the way it's always been done. I want it to be done by the scriptures. And so we've sought to do that with authority within the church also, with church leadership also, and again, asking that question, what does God's way look like, and are we doing it God's way? In order to fully understand this, I want to go back and understand authority as it's been created and really given to us within Scripture by God. It takes us back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God has all authority and all power. Yeah? Amen? We all on page. Okay, and then he creates humanity and puts them in the garden. And then what does he do? He shares that power and authority. He shares it with humanity. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have radah. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps. So all, pow- all power and authority from God is now being shared with, with humanity, being shared with with us. And so from that, we see that God is giving a responsibility. He's giving a responsibility to humanity to pay attention to all of those things, right? God says, keep these grounds. You've got a responsibility as you have this authority to care for them. I'll even give you authority to, to name them, right? So here's, here's the snapshot so far. God has all authority. He has authorization to lead and bring structure to and share that authority and power with, with humanity. And this isn't just a one-time thing. This didn't just happen in creation. This is something that continues to happen. In fact, this is the central point, one of the central points of discipleship. It's helping people to take steps in relationship with Jesus so that they can get to a point where they can right, righteously steward authority. This is the process that Jesus is bringing his, his disciples through. Also want you to catch this, that vision flows from authority. So what do we do with the authority that we're given? What do we do with the power that we're given? Uh, that vision for how to handle that is passed down from, from authority. And so you go back to creation, right? If God didn't tell Adam and Eve what to do in that period, and he just says, here you go, power and authority. They're like, hey, what do we do with that? Right? And so he gives that vision, keep the ground. 
He gives that vision on, on, out to what to do with it. And same thing with the disciples. Jesus did not say, hey, follow me. Here's all power and authority. He disciples them in the way of it. This vision for how this is supposed to be stewarded. So without biblical authority, there is no biblical vision or direction. And without biblical vision or direction, the Bible says that people are scattered all over the place. They're doing a whole bunch of random different things. And I feel like sometimes this is what the church looks like. Because there's no proper model of what biblical authority actually, actually looks like. Now, if this was the way that the world was created in the beginning, and this is the way that Jesus discipled his disciples for vision to come through authority, which is passed down in empowering others, shouldn't that be the way that we continue in the church? I think so. I think so. Again, um, as we look at power and authority, let's, let's continue to uh, contextualize. Let's continue to grab a whole picture of power and authority being passed down. When I think of power and authority being given from God to humanity, here's, here's what I consider in the New Testament. Spiritual gifts. Authority to carry out the will of God, authority to make disciples, and the power to actually make that happen. And we see three different types, three uh, different categories of spiritual gifts within the Bible. We see the manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. There are nine of them. These manifestational gifts are things that wherever the Holy Spirit is, these are available to you to manifest God's presence, to help God's presence being made known. That means anywhere that I go, anytime I call upon the Holy Spirit and say, God, I want you to make yourself known, this is available to us. Manifestation gifts. And then we've got the motivational gifts. Some of us, or Every single one of us who has the Holy Spirit living inside of us will function in one or more of these motivational gifts found in Romans 12. There are seven of them. These are just natural things that flow out of us. It just naturally comes out. Like, oh, this is how God created you in our uniqueness. And then we see the church leadership gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll be getting into uh, again a little bit today. Uh, Another point that we made is... As we, were, as we are continuing to build, you guys know you're in a building church. This is a beginning work of something that we're continuing to build upon. We visited Nehemiah 13. And in Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah is going back to rebuild the walls and uh, different parts of the, the, the city. And we identify that God had once given these people uh, a set way to, to do things. It was God's ways. This is the way they directed, that God directed them to to function. But over time, what had taken place is man's ways had come in, and they were now living according to what the men wanted to to do within the structure. And so God's ways were replaced with man's ways. And then we began to ask this question, do we see that within the church? Do we see that within the church where God's ways, God's structures, God's instruction has now been replaced with the ways of man? And so we just pondered that, and then we went through some history. 
And I want to revisit just some pieces of that history. So bear with me if you don't like history. Uh, This will take me like less than five minutes. I'm just going to pound them out real quick. In year 35 to 107 AD, Ignatius of Antioch took the first steps towards placing an individual in power instead of a group of people, instead of a community of people stewarding it. In 160 to 225, Tertullian was the first writer to use the word clergy, elevating the leader again in creating that space between the people of God and the leader. In the mid-200s, Cyprian of Carthage taught that uh, a bishop had no superior except for himself. And during communion, now, because of the power that that priest had, now the, the body of Christ would literally show up when they spoke the words. In 325, after the Council of Nicaea, the hierarchical positions within the church were created. Now there was an official priest. Now there was a person over him being the bishop. Now there was a high priest in continuing to make these man-made tiers of structure within, within the church. By the 5th century, the concept of the priesthood of believers had all but disappeared beneath this man-made structure. By the end of the 5th century, with great credit to Rome's Emperor Claudius, there was yet another expulsion of the Jews. And during this time, pagan faith really dug into the faith of the church, and it became like roots of much of the church. In uh, the 16th century, reformers began to try and level that playing field a little bit with people like Luther. By the 17th century, Puritan writers like John Owen, Thomas Goodwin, lead the way for pastors to have power again. So some of that power trickling down. Pastors can now read scripture publicly. They can now preach. They can now administer the sacraments. By the 18th century, as a result of the earlier work of Luther and Calvin, um, uh, a couple hundred years earlier, now the preferred name has become pastor rather than priest. Over the past couple hundred of years, we've seen this church structure just continue to be built and specifically built around a primary person at the helm of a church. 9.7 times out of 10, that person is a gifted teacher and or communicator and generally has the shepherding gift. And this is where we stand in church structure as a norm within our society today. And so the message that we highlighted during that time is have God's ways replaced, been replaced with man's ways? And so many churches and congregation and people have settled for playing this already defeated version of the church that follows after the structure of man instead of rebuilding with God's true intentions. And so that's, that's the goal of our church. That's the goal of what we're doing here. I don't know if you knew you were a part of this or not, but you are a part of this. So what does this look like? How do, we find, how do we find this structure? How do we continue to grow in biblical ways of authority being passed down from God to humanity? How does that look like within the church? I want you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians, um, but it, it, it was meant for a local church but it was also meant to be circulated throughout the different churches. So these principles 
in what we're learning from the scripture is applicable to the local church. This is how a local church should be structured, but also it, that should continue to grow as we would understand discipleship and multiplication, right? That's something that should continue to grow within the church at large uh, throughout region and even, even globally. Um, uh, Paul had previously already shared about uh, this great faith that we have, this great salvation that we have by grace through faith and how there's no differentiation now between different races, between different uh, uh, social classes, between, right? We're all in the same playing field. We are all sons and daughters of Christ, bought with the price, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, empowered by the spirit of God to bring transformation in the world around us. And so this is where we jump into scripture as Paul is writing this letter. In Ephesians chapter one, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with love in one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is uno, one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope that, brings, uh, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. By grace was given each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, right? Jesus is empowering his church to do this. He's got a mission that Jesus will accomplish. He empowers it. He sets it up, and we get to walk it out. We get to say, yes, Lord, that's what I will do. That's what I will do next. Therefore, it says, when, speaking of Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, speaking of these gifts, and saying, he ascended what does it also mean that he descended into the lower regions of the earth? He, de uh, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so this concept comes from the Jewish train of thought with the concept of Sheol. Like you ever think about what happened to all of those believers, uh, all of those followers of God before the cross? And it's this Jewish concept of Sheol, that they would die and their spirits would go there and that Jesus, uh, after his death on the cross, would descend into the deep utmost parts of the world, bringing that host of captives up to be with him. And when he gets up, he releases the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all mankind. You can do further study in Psalm 88, Joel 2, and Acts 2. But here's where we're going to focus. And he gave. Here's some of those gifts that he gave and the purpose of them. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints. Who are the saints? Say, we're the saints. We're the saints. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. How do we know that these things, that this time period hasn't finished yet? That the time period of this type of leadership structure hasn't finished yet? Because it says until. Someone say until. Until. Until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. When we look at the body of Christ, do we see that unity taking place? 
to mature manhood. When we look at the body of Christ, are we all in mature manhood? To the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Are we all in the fullness of Christ? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When we look at the body of Christ, is this, do we still need this? Well, by golly, <laughs> absolutely. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it will build itself up in love. Here's the question. If we are not seeing the products that the Bible promises within the church today, shouldn't we go back and evaluate how our church is being built and the authority in which we're functioning? If it's not God's way, all the way, God's blessing will be delayed. So what do the roles look like within this structure? I've kind of, uh, we have them outlined and I've put G's with them. And for some of us, that may be helpful. And so apostle governs. An apostle governs. He sets up this, this structure which everything will uh, filter through and work within. The evangelist will gather, gather. We gather the, the people. The prophet will guide. What direction? When do we take the step in that direction? The teachers will ground in the scripture, will ground in the scripture. The shepherds will guard. We guard the flock. Hey, is that like a TikTok thing? I don't know. Uh, I'll have to work on my TikTok moves. Definitely, Steve says. So we see this within the scriptures, and there's this perfect example of Jesus Christ functioning in all of them. As Jesus is the perfect fivefold ministry in and of himself, he's able to do all of these things. And I love the example of the first steps, if you will, for Jesus to step into this. His first steps in John chapter 1 is that he submits, and he's empowered. This is where it starts. Within our submission to the will of the Father, Jesus steps in and says, yeah, I, I need to be baptized. I need to be water baptized. And so he goes into the water, and John says that the Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove and remains upon him. So there's a submission, and there's the empowerment right then and there. And you see throughout Scripture in these different places, Jesus saying, follow me. Follow. He's constantly going after people. Hey, follow me. Come on. Come on. Follow me. It's this invitation, this gathering, this gathering as the perfect evangelist. We see him prophesying, giving clear direction as the perfect prophet. I love what he says to Nathaniel after he prophesies to him. He says, uh, because I said to you, Nathaniel, that I saw you under that fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Come on, that's for some, someone in here needs to hear that, right? That greater things are still to come. What's it saying in Haggai, Haggai 2? That the latter will be greater than the former. Come on, this is a prophetic word for us also. As we walk in and step into the power that God has for us and step into the structure that he's laid out for us. The best is yet to come, and Jesus in that moment is being the perfect apostle. 
saying, I'm going to build this thing and you're going to be a part of it. Here's the structure. We see Jesus as the perfect teacher and the perfect shepherd. Here's a question that I have been asked. If we see that perfectly with Jesus, how do we know that one person is not meant to function in all of these? If Jesus could, right? And my first response to that is this. You are not Jesus. Jesus is literally teaching and empowering the 12. And then he explicitly teaches through the words of Paul as he writes to the Ephesians, these different people in these different different giftings by the grace of God. Again, he chooses who to empower for these things. And then he takes this great commission and he gives it to the disciples saying, go and make more disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is a task that would require fivefold ministry. It would require an evangelist to gather people, an apostle to structure, a prophet to give precise how-tos and when-tos, a teacher to guide in what is right, and a shepherd to help walk with people. It would require all of these. What about, what does that look like after Jesus? What's the example after Jesus? Well, we see this in the New Testament as the church is being built. You remember the, our homeboy Paul used to be Saul. He got a, a fresh name. Acts 9.15 says that the Lord said to him, Go for this Paul is my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings uh, and to the children of Israel. Right? The, the Gentiles, that was a big unreached people group. In order to reach them, there would need to be structure on how this whole thing is going to work. That's, that's a big group of people, and Paul would be that person. But here's something that we need to know about the, uh, the apostle. He doesn't necessarily know all of the things in and of himself. He doesn't necessarily know when to do and what to do sometimes. That's where another comes in with a prophetic Voice. We see prophets in the, the New Testament um, like Agabus. In Acts 11.27, it says, Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all of the world. And so the disciples determined, every one of them according to his ability to send relief, to the brothers living in Judea, and so they did, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so you, you see what takes place. A prophet comes in and says, okay, here's, here's what God's doing, and here's what we need to do, and then it's weighed by the other leaders in that, that church, and then the apostle is going to again come in and help structure how this is going to move, move forward. We also see the apostle doesn't always know uh, uh, specific next steps in Acts 13. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and, uh, and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and uh, praying, they laid hands on them and they, they, sent them, they sent them off. 
Right? And so there, there they go by the direction of the prophet, the, the, um, the apostle is, is moving forward. And as Paul and Barnabas would go, they would do the work of the evangelist. They would go after those lost who didn't know about Jesus yet. They would get these, this structure together. They would be teachers, giving them straight, this is what the Bible says. This is, this is the word of God. This is how we're supposed to be functioning. And then uh, furthermore, structure is being taken place. And then what happens? How, do, how does this continue on? Right? We need to continue to understand this. How, how, do we, how does this continue to build? Acts 14.21 says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and they had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed Elders for every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord and they believed. And so again, you see this structure taking place. We're continuing to identify leaders. Hey, you're a, you're a great teacher. Let's, let's continue to help shape that. Let's continue to help mold that. Hey, you're, you work really well in the prophetic. Let's continue to shape that. Let's continue to mold that. See where God continues to release that authority. And so we see that a part of the apostolic empowerment of God, God's ability to build and structure, was also to identify leaders, to call them out, to give them place, to continue to allow that flow of authority on to other people. And the church continues to, the church continues to grow. A practical example um, of how this looks. So a, a, an apostle will set up this structure for things to function under. And then the prophet's gonna help give specifics towards that, that structure. And then what benefit is this structure if there's no people? Then we need the evangelist to get people and, and to lead and to continue to train people in each of these. And then what about the people needing care, Right? So that's where the shepherds come in. The shepherds come in and care, and they're all about relationship, relationship, relationship. We've got to get close. We've got to get close. And then you've got the teachers who train the people in the Bible. Okay, so this is kind of our general outline of fivefold ministry, and there's, there's uh, plenty of other resources that I'm sure we'll, we'll hit as we continue along in this journey together. But God showed me a couple deterrents that I want to communicate with us, and they're specific for us. They're specific for us here at this, this church. And the first is this. Some things that get in the way of fivefold ministry continuing to function and continuing to grow. The first is this. Cultural elitism is what I'm calling it. Cultural elitism. That's where you have the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And, and here's how it happens. The apostle says, I've got this great structure. This is going to be incredible. It's going mean, to gonna be perfect. And so they work towards the structure. And then they begin to look at the, the others who are, are along in this journey with them. They're like, dude, what's, what's that evangelist doing? Why is he spending so much time with all those people? What, what's with that teacher? His nose is always in a book. Right? Looking at each of these. And then same thing for the prophet. They're like, 
Why aren't you praying more? Why aren't you listening to God more? The evangelist is like, why aren't you reaching out to people more? Right? The pastor's like, why aren't you walking with more people? Why aren't you in deeper relationship with people? What's, what's the deal? The teacher says, why aren't you teaching more Bible? We need, to, we need to be devoting all of our time towards this. And this is what happens within the body of Christ, where we, re- we don't recognize the lanes that people are supposed to be in. And we begin belittling what they're doing in the name of Jesus Christ, but it looks different from what I'm supposed to be doing. We see this in the New Testament um, uh, where I think it's like Peter, um, and uh, Peter's like, uh, he, he's teaching and all of these things, and then the, the uh, come on words, come on words, uh, and then there's a group of people who aren't being cared for, and so the people come to them, and they're like, what about all these people who need to be cared for? And Peter's like, well, I'm not supposed to stop doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to continue to grow and do what Jesus has called me to do, but I'll empower you to do this. I'll empower you to do this. And so we can't, we can't belittle what other people are supposed to be doing within the kingdom of God. And that requires an apostolic outlook. That requires someone who sees the way this is all supposed to be functioning together. Without that, we come into this cultural elitism. A, a side note to that, I, I believe that there's, um, I'm not supposed to say that. I will, I will let that one go. The other issue that gets in the way is, uh, again, pertinent to our area, to our region, is what I call cultural religious Bible comprehension. <laughs> say that eight times fast. Cultural Religious, Bible comprehension, cultural being an area or a region where religion is of high value. And so in a religious culture, here's what takes place. We see all the stories of the Bible. I could probably sit down with so many people, and I know what that story says. I could probably give you a sermon about that story. I could form it in three points, and they probably rhyme and start with the same letter. But the issue is that we have trouble in a, uh, in a religious environment. We have trouble connecting all of those stories to the grander scheme of what the Bible actually says. And so it, it's a struggle for religious people because we're like, I know the Bible. Well, you know what the story says. But how does that actually intersect and then become a systematic theology and then become practical theology? I had this really cool triangle. I'll probably post it on um, uh, social media at some point. But it's, it's a, um, a pyramid of the different ways that we begin to understand Scripture. It's based off of this first part of the canon, on, uh, canon of Scripture. We've got to recognize what the Word of God is. And then you have hermeneutics. It's understanding uh, what the Bible's actually saying, these words, and, and what do these words actually mean. And then you step into Bible exegesis, and we're learning uh, the context of that scripture and how the words are actually put together. And then you've got systematic theology, and it turns into this, oh, this is how we're connected. Or no, it's Bible theology, and then systematic theology. And, and then at the top, it's practical theology. And so we've got to have our different ways of understanding scripture, not just story by story. Two things that really get in, in the way and that could be a, a hindrance for us 
And so we've got to continue to understand the Bible for what it actually is, not just stories, but actually the word of God that directs us. I believe that any answer that we're finding, we can, we can, any answer that we're seeking, we can go to the Bible and it can direct us towards that answer. All right, I want to close with this. Um, Pastor Matt, if you could come up and just give me some light keys, that'd be awesome. Help me move towards a close. I had a vision um, as a word of encouragement for us this, this week. And it was as I was reading through uh, the, the book of Esther in our devotions. Esther's in a position as the queen. There's an evil man named Amon who devises a plan to kill all the Jews. Esther's uncle, Mordecai, hears this plan and communicates it to Esther, urging her to do something with the power that she has. And here's the verse in Esther 4.14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. It's this concept that says you can't stop what God is actually doing in the kingdom of God, but you can play a role in slowing it down. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther is literally this linchpin, this cotter pin, if you will, on the gates of breakthrough, on the gates of God's blessing, reaching a whole entire people group. And the question is, are you going to release that linchpin and burst wide these gates to flood forth the blessing of God, to flood forth the transformation of God? You've got the power Anybody else get that tune? You've got the power. <laughs> You've got the power, and you have an opportunity to make a choice. I'm calling for your yes. Would you guys stand for me? I'm calling for your yes. Here's the promise. Your yes will have fruit. It will yield the increase of signs, miracles, and wonders, healing, steps of faith. Your yes will impact generations in this region. Your yes will aid in multiple congregations in our region who are cessationists in believing in the gifts. And they're going to come to a place of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which will play a role in the transformation of the spiritual climate of Southeast Idaho. Your yes will cause demons to flee and people to be set free. Your yes will launch ministries and kingdom businesses. Your yes will transform our region. One of the huge things that I see that took place with Paul in the continued building of the kingdom of God is he wasn't able to move on to the next place and the next project and do the next thing to build more kingdom stuff until people there stepped up and said, I will be this linchpin and I will let it go. I will let the blessing of God flow through me. Listen, you're the head, not the tail. You will no longer slow it down. You will push ahead. Give him your yes. 
Give him your yes and your faith and say, I believe this. I believe, God, you are transforming this region. I believe this. I believe you want to use me. I think God is restructuring the way that you see you this morning and the power that actually is in your hands and the way that you live and the way that you interact with the people around you. And so God's calling us to renew our minds to this truth. This is who you are. Notice I'm not saying this to a bursting forth room. I'm saying this because you're leaders. I'm saying this because this is who I believe you are. That right now, who we have here in this church are those people who are going to cause things to break loose if if you say yes. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past is. It's about right now. Am I going to say yes to God? Am I going to say yes to God? So, Father, we just come before you and we say yes. Lord, would you use us? Would you let your ministry flow forward? God, would the, uh, the criticalness that some of us carry in, in regards to looking at other people and what they're doing within the kingdom of God, would that just leave fully and completely? Would you help us to gain an understanding of humility within the kingdom of God, of an understanding of the way that you work looks differently in other people's lives? Would you continue to release vision here in this room, God? Would you continue to release vision within our church to continue to grow? The word of the Lord for this season is this, continue to press into who God has called you to be. Continue to grow in who God has called you to be. Press in there. There's going to be a lot of distractions, a lot of things that want to take you off course, and some of them might actually be godly. But God's calling you to a specific place. Function there. Press in there. Focus there. So we say yes, Lord. Would you... Help, help us to see what that specifically means for each of us. And God, as you give us that clarity, I pray that we would bring it to godly leaders in our lives, that we would uh, uh, allow it to flow through wise counsel. Continue to spur this forward, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us. If you have been blessed by Rise Church, be sure to follow us and share it on your social media. You can subscribe to a podcast, and if you haven't had a chance to give yet, you can do so at risechurchid.org or send a text message with a cash amount to the number 84321. And remember that the mission field is all around you, so go in the power of Jesus and bring that transformation for his glory.